1: Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, Melissa
0: here. Before the episode starts, we wanted to give you a quick update to the thing that we're referring to in the show when we say we can't refer to that thing. Well, guess what? We got approval to refer to that thing. The big news is a few months ago, Mandy and I had the opportunity to participate in a True Crime documentary for 2020, and that is going to come out this Friday, November 18th. And so the episode is called "Tainted Love," and it's about the murder of Stephen Beard. It's a story we covered last year on our podcast in March of 2021. The episode is called "The Murder of Stephen Beard." We had an amazing time working with 2020. Everyone was so great. It was such a cool experience for us. The producer, Abby. Lived was absolutely the best, and it was amazing to get to share more about Stephen and his life and his loved ones. And we really hope you guys will check it out. It's out this Friday, November 18th at 9, 8 central on ABC, and you can also stream it on Hulu. We're basically streamers, which I think means our teenagers will finally find us cool. We'll see. And now, without further ado, here comes the episode. (laughs)
1: guys and welcome to the moms and murder podcast a true crime podcast featuring myself mandy and my dear friend melissa hi melissa hi mandy how are you i am doing awesome and sick and tired of hurricanes sick and tired of rain there are pieces of buildings in the daytona area crumbling into the ocean (sighs) i barely even knew that we were getting another storm and i don't know what's going on um yeah wild and crazy so since we last spoke to everyone, we have gone through another little hurricane. It was (sighs) so fast,
0: Mandy. Like, it was even (laughs) fast to me who tracks the storms all the time. And yeah. even I was like, hey, by the way, there's a storm coming up. And I only gave you like one day's notice, because that's all I had. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, Until like the schools got canceled. Right. Then like my sister was even like, oh, I guess it's real now. Because
1: yeah, well, that was me too. When <laughs> I remember because you told me first that your kids um, canceled schools. And I at that point, my kids school hadn't canceled anything. But I was like, oh, it's well, I guess coming. that's – yeah, that's probably coming. So I guess this is a real thing. So uh yeah, so thankfully it really wasn't that severe uh the weather here. Um, yeah. Um, you know, nothing so nothing much crazy flooding in my still. area, but like yes, in areas so much that have more already,
0: rain. Yeah, but in areas that have already like gone through so much with the last one, like It was, nobody was prepared for this to come through, even though you can have storms in November, and we know that, but you still, in November, you're like, I'll eat my hurricane stash. It's November. It's not going to happen. So I guess we learned our lesson this year. But- um, Well, that's not even
1: that crazy. I actually had read like an article that said there has been a hurricane in November to hit Florida, but it was in like 1983 or 85. It was one of those two. 85. It was when I was little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really not that common for November, but Yeah very strange strange times and everything last thing i'll say about it and everything still isn't picked up from the
0: last hurricane like there's still you'll drive by places with branches and stuff so thank goodness it wasn't a bigger one because there's still for sure stuff out there and the funny thing is no one's cleaning up their yard today like after the last storm next day everybody's outside doing it today i think everyone's just tired yeah yeah it'll still be here who knows there could be another storm we don't know
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So that is your weather report. That's how things are going down here in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, just a quick little reminder. um, We will be off next week, the 22nd, as we always um, take off for the Thanksgiving week so we can enjoy our families. And we hope that everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving, of course, but we will see you back here the week after Thanksgiving. That's our usual little thing. So yeah, so we'll be off the 22nd and be back on the 29th. Technically, we will
0: have an episode that comes out on the 22nd, but we're replaying an episode from a few months ago, ad-free if you haven't heard it. That's a great time to listen to it about the murder of Jared Bright again. So that will be up next week. And if you just want to refresh yourself with the details, that will be there. Since we are going to be off for a week, let's just take one more minute for housekeeping things. First of all, pay attention to social media this week because whatever that thing was that we were announcing is happening this week this friday so look at our social media and we can finally talk about it then but that's when you will hear about it um and then lastly if you are an apple podcast listener there is now a subscription plan that is something that apple has so it's kind of like patreon you can listen to the episodes now um ad free and early release on sunday so we put them up on sunday nights everyone else they'll still be there Tuesdays you don't have to pay a thing but if you'd like to listen to them without ads and on Sundays that option is there and it's available. So if you look at our feed and it says something about subscription but you don't want it, don't worry. You don't have to do anything. It will still be there. But if you would like the subscription, it is there. It's similar to Patreon in that way, but honestly a little bit easier to use than Patreon. Perfect. So,
1: there you go, Mandy. Yes. All right, so we will get right into the story for this week. So the life of a morning news anchor is one that I don't really think that I could do. I do consider myself a morning person, and I am up pretty early, but I don't consider myself to be a 3 o'clock in the morning person, and that is what time you have to be up when you're scheduled to be live on air at 6 a.m., But Jodi Husentrout was willing to put up with those early morning wake-ups because she loved her job as a news anchor for KIMT-TV in Mason City, Iowa. Jodi had graduated with a bachelor's degree in TV broadcasting and speech communication just four years earlier in 1990, so she really had just begun her career in television. After she graduated from St. Cloud State University, Jody went on to work as a broadcaster for KGAN-TV in Cedar Rapids, and then she worked for a short time at KSAX-TV in Alexandria, Minnesota, and finally she found herself at KIMT-TV in Mason City. Jody lived in an apartment complex just five minutes from the station, which was a nice and short commute since she was waking up well before the sun even came up. Jodi's typical shift was from 3 a.m. to about 12.30 or 1 in the afternoon. And although she was late for work about once a week, Jodi never missed a newscast. This was partly thanks to the station's producer, Amy Kunz, who would call Jodi to wake her up on the mornings that she was late. Jodi would always show up within 20 minutes, and she would still be ready to go live at 6.
0: Real quick, have you seen any of the newscaster TikToks?
1: Where they're like, I'm
0: live and is that not the most stressful thing you've watched in your entire life? Yes. They're like, I have 20 minutes to be on. And they're like putting their microphone on. They're still putting mascara on as they're like
1: doing and the And that's voice like over. every single day. Like the, every way my, day. An, the way my anxiety could not take that as a daily Maybe I can't thing. even watch
0: the whole <laughs> clip. I'm always like, they're going to mess up. They're going to mess up. And every time they make it in the nick of time. And they're
1: still like, get ready with me. I'm like, no, ma'am,
0: Put your no. phone away. You need to be <laughs> concentrating. It's amazing, yeah, though.
1: It is amazing, yeah. Uh, so Jody had her sights set on a new job at a Twin Cities TV station. And this really appealed to her because the Twin Cities, of course, was a much bigger news market. And it was closer to her hometown. But sadly, Jodi never got the chance to take that job. Because on Tuesday, June 27, 1995, Jodi went missing. And she still has not been found to this day.
0: Jodi was born on June 5th, 1968 in Long Prairie, Minnesota, where she was raised by parents Maurice and Imogene. According to her sister Joanne, Jodi was the type of girl that everyone really took to. Joanne said that Jodi had a beautiful personality that really did light up a room, but that she was also very trusting and naive. She always really saw the good in people. And one of Jodi's favorite hobbies was golfing. She was even on a golf team along with one of her co-workers and two local businessmen. But at some point in the later part of 1994, Jodi seemed to be having serious concerns that someone was following her. Keep in mind, she is a news anchor who's on TV all the time. Safety is really always a concern when you're working in this sort of a public profession, but Jodi voiced her concerns on multiple occasions that she felt like she was being followed. In one instance, on October 8th, 1994, Jody called the police in Mason City and reported that someone in a small, newer white truck was following her. She made this call from her apartment, but the truck and driver have never been identified. Jody asked the responding officer in that case what she needed to do to protect herself and keep herself safe, such as maybe carrying mace, and the officer did go through and give her some advice about what she should do. Jodi told the officer that she had been walking with a friend when someone drove by and was staring at her really hard, to the point that it made her feel nervous. And I think everyone, especially For females, sure. have been through that. For where sure. you're just walking, you're like, You don't have to look at me like that. Uh right. just keep on driving. Yes, I'm six foot tall. Just go on your way. (laughs) So (laughs) this is the only documented time though, that Jodi contacted police about a possible stalker, but she was concerned enough that she began taking self-defense classes around this time as well. So over time, Jodi told numerous people, including her sister, some of her other friends and her self-defense instructor that she believed she was being followed. As we said before, Jodi really would have been an easy target for some random person to stalk. According to FindJody.com. her personal information was all listed in the public directory for Mason City, including her address and her phone number. And Jodi really was someone that always kept to the same schedule and routine every day. And she would always talk about her plans and what she was going to be up to during her news segments.
1: So anyone who was watching her segments would have
0: had a pretty easy time figuring out where to find her.
1: Sometime that same year in 1994, Jodi met a man named John Van Sice. He was a man who lived in her apartment complex, and he was about 20 years older than she was. But John took a liking to Jodi, and he even hosted a surprise birthday party for her at Sully's Bar in Clear Lake, Minnesota on June the 10th. He later named his boat after Jodi because she was such a big part of his life, and he said that she just made him feel so good. They were spending a lot of time together that summer, but according to Jody's good friend Tammy, they were not romantically involved, although Jody's sister Joanne did say that she thought John was definitely interested in more than just friendship with Jody. Jody and John did continue to be friends throughout the next year, which is during the same time frame that Jody began telling others that she felt like she was being stalked by someone. In June of 1995, so a year later, Jodi and John went on a water skiing trip with her friend Tammy and another friend named Annie, and the four of them stayed with John's college-age son. They came back from this trip on June 25th, and Jodi got right back to work on the morning of the 26th, anchoring the morning news from 6 to 7 a.m. At 9 o'clock that morning, Jodi and her team played at the annual Mason City Chamber of Commerce Golf Tournament fundraiser event. And unfortunately, it started to rain during the tournament. So everybody went inside the clubhouse at the Mason City Country Club, and they hung out for a little while. Jodi was ready to get out of her wet clothes, so she decided to go home and change. But then she went back to the country club at about 3.30 that afternoon. Later on that evening, there was going to be an awards dinner, and Jodi was attending it with her team, so she just wanted to go home and change into dry clothes, and then she was coming back. During the dinner, she told two of her team members that she had been getting these nasty and naughty phone calls, and she mentioned that she was going to change her phone number the following day. So Jodi ended up leaving the club for the night at about 8, and she went home. On her way home, she called her friend Kelly, who lived in Mississippi. It was 824 when she made that call. But Kelly wasn't home, so Jody briefly spoke with her husband, who later said that Jody sounded cheerful and pretty carefree, didn't sound like she had any concerns that night. It's unclear what Jody did for the remainder of the June 26th evening, but according to John, she actually stopped by his home for a little while before she went to her own place. And they watched this videotape of the surprise party that he had thrown for her earlier that month. And they just chatted about their recent water ski trip. John said that Jody got in her car and drove home after their visit. And that was the last time he saw her.
0: So we know for sure that Jodi made it home that night because at four the next morning, which was June 27th, the TV station producer, Amy Kunz, called Jodi because she was late for her 3 a.m. shift. As we said before, Jodi was late about once a week, but Amy was pretty understanding and would always give her a call to wake her up and give her a chance to get to the studio. On this particular morning, Amy spoke with Jodi, who said she had overslept again, but would be right in. According to Amy, this was a normal, typical phone call. She said she expected to see Jodi walking into the station in about half an hour, but Jodi never showed up. At 5 a.m., co-workers tried to reach Jodi again, but this time she didn't answer the phone. But Amy continued preparing for the 6 o'clock newscast because, as they say in the entertainment industry, the show must go on. And so the clock ticked on and on, and Jodi still wasn't there when it was time for cameras to roll. So Amy stood in and anchored the hour-long newscast for her. At the end of the show, which is now 7 in the morning, Amy asked another co-worker to call the police and have them do a welfare check on Jody. At this point, Amy said she was feeling really uneasy and she was concerned that something was seriously wrong. Officers responded right away and they arrived at Jody's apartment complex at 7.16 that morning. Jodi's red Mazda Miata was still in the parking lot, just 12 feet from the building she lived in. Right away, officers took notice that there were signs of a struggle. There were drag marks from Jody's shoes that were found on the pavement, and there was a bent car key near her car. Her red high heels, hairspray, and earrings were scattered around the parking lot. Jody's friend Tammy said that she always carried a purse and briefcase containing her notebooks with her to work, but none of those items were found by the police. There was a partial fingerprint from the Miata that was taken into evidence, as well as a strand of hair. But that's the only physical evidence police ever found at the scene. And they aren't even 100% sure that this hair is even linked to Jody's disappearance. This is an apartment complex. There's a right. million people coming in and out, so how do you even really know? And we still have so much to get into with this story. And we will after we take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
1: If you're looking to start something new or learn something new, you should check out Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn how to think like a profiler from John Douglas, improve your cooking skills from Gordon Ramsay, or learn songwriting from John Legend. With over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think.
0: I've taken several classes for masterclass. My favorites so far have been storytelling and humor with David Sedaris and baking like a pro with Joanne Chang. With Thanksgiving being right around the corner, you should definitely try out Joanne's class. She teaches you these baking tips that you may not have ever known. And my favorite though was learning how to bake a brioche. You can literally use this recipe in a million different iterations. I honestly had no idea. From savory to sweet, and I bet Mandy could even use one to make one of her beloved meat pies.
1: Melissa, you had me at meat pie. We highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash murder today. That's masterclass.com slash murder Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Wouldn't it be great
0: if life came with an owner's manual? Imagine having these problems pop up and just skimming an index in the back of the manual for things like feeling like I can't do anything right. Oh, that's page 3,578. Let's see what I need to do. Luckily though, therapists are trained to actually help you find the cause of those challenging emotions and actually learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to having your own personal owner's manual.
1: BetterHelp is a great tool to help you in being the best you possible. Whether you're looking to work through long-term problems, right now problems, or ways to take on problems when they arise, your BetterHelp therapist is available on the phone, on video, or even through chat to help you through it. Sometimes the hardest
0: part is just starting. For me, my journey with therapy has been more than a decade, and it's something that's really benefited me extensively through the years. I'm not the same person I was when I started therapy, and that's a good thing.
1: As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com moms. That's betterhelp.com slash moms.
0: And now back to
1: the episode. So before the break, we were talking about the young woman Jody, who's in who was supposed to be showing up to anchor the six o'clock morning news and. Did not make it into work that morning. Her co-workers called the police who found a what looked like a struggle had occurred at her apartment complex in the parking lot. And it appeared that Jody was, in fact, missing. So the next thing the officers did was go up to Jodi's apartment on the second floor where they noticed that everything up there appeared to be normal. There was no sign that a struggle had taken place inside of her apartment. Neighbors talked to the police and some say they did hear a scream around 4.30 in the morning, but nobody said that they called the police about it. One of the neighbors, a man who lived up the street from Jody's building, was driving through the parking lot on his way to work that morning and he said he did notice a strange white van parked in front of the complex and he actually noticed this van because it was parked in a way where nobody could really drive around them and he said he thought at first that this may have actually been a police officer. Interestingly, while the police were still at Jody's apartment complex, John showed up and he told officers that Jody had come by his house the night before to watch the surprise party video. And he also told them about the trip they had just been on that previous weekend. So the officers asked him to bring that video down to the station so that they could you know, take a look at it later that day. With very little information to go on, the police believed that Jodi was abducted as she went to her car to head into work that morning. What they still had to figure out was whether or not her abductor was someone she knew, or if she had been targeted by a stalker who had seen her on television, or if her attack was completely random. At first, they believed it was most likely that Jodi had been abducted by somebody who'd been stalking her for a while. But as the years have gone on, they really have been less confident in that theory. In 2011, an officer pointed out that they have nothing to prove that there was any real stalker. Jody wasn't getting any gifts. There's no cards. There's no phone calls from strange people. And it just didn't really seem probable that this was the work of just an obsessive fan. Others theorize that Jodi was targeted after she reported on a local drug ring, but the police and Jody's co-workers all think that that is also a pretty far-fetched idea.
0: Yeah, that is a wild idea yeah. from everything we know about her. Search teams were established to look for Jodi within hours of police first showing up to her apartment. The immediate area was searched first, including a park next to the complex in the area of the Winnebago River, which runs through the park. Unfortunately, rainy conditions made outdoor searches very difficult that day. In the following days, the search area was expanded beyond the immediate area of Jody's apartment complex. Naturally, police wanted to hear more from John, and they got their chance to talk to him on June 27th. He told them that he was at home the morning Jody disappeared, and he said someone could verify his whereabouts, and that was his friend LaDonna. John and LaDonna had plans to go for a morning walk, and she called John at 6 that morning to confirm their plan. John agreed to take a polygraph test to prove that he was telling the truth. The police eventually did speak with LaDonna, who confirmed that she did talk to John at 6 that morning. And, according to her, everything seemed completely normal with him. He even mentioned to her that Jody had stopped by the night before and saw the video. Inside Jody's apartment, police found a journal that she'd been keeping since January of 1994. The journal was 84 pages long and contained writings about her goals, ways she could improve herself and her personal experiences. In late January, she wrote that she loved the news and she couldn't wait to expand her career and make more money and have an impact on a larger audience. She reminded herself in this journal that she needed to give herself time to climb the ranks and to get where she wanted to be, and she committed to giving herself a good five years in the business. In March of 1994, she wrote that she was starting a new career hunt and her goal was to land a job at a top 50 TV station. Many entries included something about men. In one instance, she wrote, quote, why do I get hooked so fast? I'm lonely here at times and would love to have someone to share my life with. Sure, I meet men, but none of them really strikes me or who follows through, end quote.
1: In a journal entry a year later in March of 1995, Jody wrote, quote, I'm starting fresh at work this week, getting up at 3 a.m. Best newscast in the world, top 10 market. I really think I'll market myself for Arizona, see what they think about my accent. Or I'll move down there to produce. End quote. The final entries in her journal were from June 12th, 13th, and 25th of 1995. On the 12th, which was a Sunday, Jody wrote, quote, What a weekend! Surprise, my Mason City Clear Lake friends threw a big party for me at a lounge wild. It was in Clear Lake. They had a 16-gallon keg, huge cake with a skier, so much left. John grilled 150 pork burgers. We were dancing on tables, dancing everywhere. Everyone had a ball. Video camera was rolling. Cameras were clicking. Oh, what fun. Life is so good. The party made me feel so good, end quote. On Tuesday the 13th, the very next day, Jody wrote, quote, Last night, John and I went to the Glenn Miller Orchestra in Belmont. I have so many great viewers. People are so kind. This nice weather has me wild. I bought a new Mazda Miata. Simply love it. And then on Sunday, June 25th, her final entry said, quote, got home from a weekend road trip to Iowa City. Oh, we had fun. It was wild partying and water skiing. I'm improving on the skis, hips up, lean, etc. John's son, Trent, gave me some great ski tip advice. Today Sunday, it was raining in Mason City so didn't get any skiing in. I love it, it's addicting. Great friends but professionally. I'm fed up. It's difficult finding a new job and I'm confused about agent and what to do end quote. So as we can see, there's really nothing too alarming about any of these journal entries. They all sound like they were written by a relatively happy woman
0: On June 28th, the FBI and the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation joined in the investigation into Jody's disappearance. By June 29th, they had interviewed more than 100 people, but they still had zero suspects. On July 2nd, helicopters were used to search Mason City and an area southwest of the city, but the next day, the ground and air searches were called off. Police said they would continue to investigate the case, though. Hundreds of tips rolled in, but none led to a solid lead, and by the end of July, police had interviewed over 800 people in hopes of cracking this case. But still, they couldn't find any solid suspects. One agent with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation said that it seemed like Jody's abductor had been watching her and knew her routine well. By September, Jody's family was frustrated and they decided to hire a PI of their own while the Mason City PD continued their investigation. Jody's case was actually featured on America's Most Wanted on September 23rd, which did lead to about 60 new tips but none of them went anywhere. Three months passed, and finally, police thought they had a break when they learned about a guy named Thomas Corscadden. He was a three-time convicted sex offender who lived in his van, traveling around South Dakota and Northern Iowa, looking for sex workers or other women to spend time in his van which was lovingly described as being a, quote, poor man's porn palace, end quote. <laughs> wow. Appreciate you leaving me with that line there, <laughs> Mandy. That was a tongue and, twister too, I know. <laughs> yeah, I made it through the first time. And this van was, as Mandy wrote here, just your standard shag wagon. <laughs> and, <laughs> thanks so much. It had everything. It had condoms, pornography, and jars of Vaseline. Although police did find an array of sex-related things in Thomas's van, they didn't find any evidence that linked him to Jody, and his palm print did not match the one they found on Jody's Miata. So Thomas was eventually ruled out as a suspect. Interestingly enough, during a psych evaluation five years later, Thomas actually bragged about being a suspect in
1: Jody's disappearance. That's always so weird to me, but I feel like people do stuff like that. Like, even if they really didn't have anything to do with it, like, some people are just, I don't know. They like attention from things like that. I mean, it's it not like a, a shocking type thing for someone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I i mean, it's not like shocking to me that somebody would do that. You know, I feel like I've heard of that before.
0: Yeah. Well, I, you know what it reminded me of? Like, right off the bat, like, fake. Confessions, Like, I remember the yes. John JonBenét Ramsey one so vividly when the guy just was like, I did this. And yeah. they, like, did research and were like, he wasn't even in the state at the time, but right. he just wanted the notoriety, I guess. I don't know. So I guess people, yeah. People say Moving strange things. To- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are wild in the words of our friend Kim's podcast. For sure. Um, and we have more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
1: With the time change, our bodies and children are once again having to readjust to new times. And one of the biggest complaints about the time change is how it can really affect your sleep cycle. But with my sleep number bed, I feel like I was able to adjust to the new time change right away. Although I still can't figure out why in the year 2022, we are still having to change our clocks twice a year, but that's not what this ad is about.
0: You're right, this ad is all about quality sleep with sleep number, and I am happy to sing the praises of my sleep number bed to anyone and literally everyone. My son begs me to let him stay up on the weekends, and when I was a kid, I'd be asking my parents the same thing, but as an adult, I want to be in bed as soon as the sun goes down, which is now like 4.30, thanks to the time change. And when it comes to my sleep number bed, not only am I getting more sleep, but I'm getting better quality sleep thanks to the customization of my bed. I sleep at a sleep number 30, and my sleep IQ is anywhere between an 85 and a 90.
1: Between my score and how I feel after waking up, I know my sleep number is doing its job. I've discovered that my perfect sleep number setting is a 30, but occasionally I even go down to a 25 for a softer experience. I always wake up feeling like I got the best night of sleep, and my sleep IQ score of 87 confirms that I am sleeping better than ever.
0: Why choose proven quality sleep from sleep number? Because to be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com moms. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it
1: even a decision? Get started today. It only takes about five minutes to open an account with Capital One, and there's no minimum to open and keep your account. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC.
0: Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home?
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
1: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy
0: price, Priceline. And now back to the episode.
1: So before the break, we were talking about this investigation into the disappearance of Jodi Husentrout. They really have not been able to connect anybody to the to her disappearance. They aren't really sure beyond they believe that she's been abducted from the parking lot of her apartment complex, but they have been running into a lot of dead ends when it comes to figuring out any potential suspects. On November 13th, 1995, Jody's family members flew to California to film a show called Psych Detectives. There were three psychics on this show who said that Jody's abductor was someone who had seen her on television and become obsessed with her. But of course, the psychics didn't have any information that would identify any suspect.
0: Oh my gosh, that's the most annoying thing. I, like, I know. absolutely know this, and they're telling me, but pff, bummer, can't see who it is. Right, that's and convenient.
1: like I, yeah, and I have such so many opinions about people who do these kind of things. But I'm not going to go off on a tangent about that. Especially
0: but any- with these working with victims' families and yes. stuff, it's disgusting. It and is. I'm it's- sure that's one of your opinions, and it I is. would like to go on record <laughs> with you. <laughs> It's disgusting.
1: It is, and it's just—it's gross. It makes—it makes me feel really gross that that totally. people that people do that. They exploit uh, families like that. That's Absolutely. just not okay. So the investigators did search two dams that were near Mason City in December, but they weren't able to find anything. In February of 1996, so, you know, time is going on, now we're in 1996, Jody's case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries, which, again, did lead to a lot of new tips, but no real solid leads. Later on, in May of 1996, a group of about 100 people searched northeast Cerro Gordo County's countryside, and they left flags to mark anything that they thought might be suspicious, and then officers went to the areas where the flags were, and they did look for potential evidence, but... Unfortunately, they still didn't find anything. So years continued to pass, and at this time, Jody's case is pretty cold. In 1997, they thought they did have a potential lead when a man named Tony Jackson was arrested in the Twin Cities area on suspicion of several rapes. Police learned that Tony once lived in Mason City, so they contacted the police there, who figured out that he actually lived about two blocks from the KIMT TV station when Jody went missing. The week before Jody was last seen, this guy, Tony's girlfriend had broken up with him and his girlfriend happened to bear a resemblance to Jody. One of Tony's cellmates in jail also claimed that Tony wrote this rap song about what happened to Jody and that one of the lyrics said something about Stiff and Tiffin. So Tiffin is actually a city in Iowa. And so the police are thinking, let's go there and maybe, you know, we're maybe onto something here. So they talked to a farmer and asked around about where would somebody hide a body in this town which is such a weird thing like to go around asking the locals um if the police came to my house and said if you were to hide a body where would right i would be like is this a trick question like you know like i don't know that's such like a weird thing um but the farmer did tell the officers about a couple of things one of them was an abandoned silo that was in the area so the police went there and searched but they didn't find anything Tony was eventually ruled out as a suspect, and the police later said that it was highly unlikely he was involved based on what he was doing and where he actually was on the day that Jody disappeared. But I do think it's interesting that they kind of chased a lead that – I mean, and it just goes to show how little – how few leads they actually had because, you know, this one, you know, it didn't go anywhere, but I don't know that they really had a strong connection there in the first place, you know, but it's just kind of – You know, I'm glad that they were checking out everything, but yeah, it's just unfortunate it didn't lead to anything.
0: Sadly, after nearly six years without answers, Jody's family had her declared legally dead in May of 2001, and she's not been found to this day. At the time of her disappearance, Jody was between five foot three and five foot four, between 110 and 120 pounds, with blonde hair and brown eyes, and she was a white woman. The website findjodi.com and Jodi spelled J-O-D-I was created in 2003 by two Minnesota TV journalists named Josh Benson and Gary Peterson. Their goal was to keep Jodi's case in the spotlight and to provide an easy way for tips to be reported. Find Jodi also has a podcast about her disappearance. In 2011, Josh Benson spoke with producer Amy Kunz. That's the producer that would call Jodie on days that she was running late um, and ended up standing in for her on the day that Jody went missing. She's the last person who really con-
1: was confirmed to have talked to Jody,
0: Right. And so he called her asking her to clear up some rumors about Jodie's case. Josh said, quote, Police say Jodie went to them about being stalked and a white truck was mentioned. Did you ever know anything about someone stalking her? End quote. And Amy said that Jody did mention once that she thought someone was following her while she was rollerblading, but it never happened again, and Jody wasn't worried about it. She was just a little creeped out at the time. Amy did say that when Josh mentioned the white truck, it was the first time she'd ever heard of that detail in this case, which is kind of wild because it seems to be a fairly big detail when they don't have yeah. very much to even go on. Amy also said she had a cordial business relationship with Jody, but they were not friends outside of work. She said Jody did not confide in Amy or anything like that. Amy was Jodi's assistant, and sometimes she said Jodi could be demanding. She claimed Jody would snap at her one second, and the next second she'd be standing at her desk and saying, I love life. Amy said she could never really figure Jodi out. John asked Amy whether any of their coworkers were ever suspected of being involved, and Amy said no. She also said she knew that Jodi had been really up and down in the weeks leading up to her disappearance. She said she allegedly fell asleep at work often, but later in the day she'd be really perky. And Amy said she, quote, wouldn't be surprised if drugs were involved.
1: In 2005, Jodi's close friends in Minnesota launched Jodi's Network of Hope, a nonprofit that hosts an annual golf tournament to honor Jodi and raise safety awareness. As the years have gone by, attempts have still been made to solve her case. In 2008, a copy of her journal was anonymously mailed to a reporter at the Globe Gazette in Mason City. The person who sent it turned out to be the wife of former Mason City Police Department uh, police chief, and her name was Cheryl Ellingson. She had actually worked for this newspaper, the Globe Gazette, in the past, but there was really no motive given for why she sent in this journal. In December of 2016, an Iowa state representative wrote a piece for Northwest Iowa, I think that must be a magazine, where he said, quote, I was appalled at the number of cold cases in our state and the current lack of a cohesive effort to solve them. He said that there used to be a team dedicated to investigating cold cases that was actually shut down due to budget issues. In 2015, this same representative circulated a letter addressed to the city of Mason City and was asking them to recognize the 20th anniversary of Jody's disappearance, and he was soliciting help in getting this case solved. All 100 state representatives signed the letter, and then Mason City area legislators offered to notify Mason City officials about the letter. So Chief Mike Lashbrook said that he didn't want the letter to be sent to him or to anybody else in Mason City. So the mayor actually agreed not to pass the letter on, and he was, you know, vouching for what a wonderful job this chief had been doing and said that he was close to retirement, so he didn't need this issue to come before the public and to kind of sully his record. Um, oh, and so, boo-hoo. Yeah. So the mayor actually begged the state representative to withdraw this letter, and, you know, the mayor, of course, was just worried that it was putting too much pressure on the chief. So... I guess the letter didn't really see the light of day. Yeah. Wow. Um, So in his article, um, the state representative wrote, quote, "...the chief's mysterious reaction manifested through the mayor makes sense if the Mason City Police Department is mishandling this case. Indeed, I soon realized certain leads first filed in 2008 had been ignored for at least seven years." I spoke with DCI director Jim Saunders. He explained that due to the complexity of this case, the Mason City Police Department was supposedly notifying Iowa DCI of all leads since 1995. But for reasons unknown, the Mason City Police Department concealed the 2008 leads from Iowa DCI until 2015. Yikes. So Director Saunders assured the state representative that all leads would be investigated. However, under Iowa law, Mason City owns the case and the DCI is only available to assist and they don't have enough resources to even do so. (sighs) Yeah. When the new chief took over, the state representative tried to talk to him but didn't get anywhere. He wrote, quote, Generally, I would not describe myself as a person who is untrusting, but I have this gut feeling that something is being covered up in Mason City, end quote. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot.
0: Yeah, it is. And to even hear the representative being like, no, something's way wrong yeah. here. To not give the look into these leads for seven years. Oh my gosh. So as for what's going on in the case right now, in March of 2017, a federal grand jury was held and John Van Zeiss was subpoenaed in order to provide finger and palm prints along with DNA sample. No indictments were actually handed down, but 18 days later, police obtained search warrants that allowed them to put GPS trackers on two of John's vehicles. He didn't own either of these vehicles in 1995 when Jody went missing. Wild to me that you would put GPS trackers on somebody's car 18 years later and think right and these cars are going to drive related
1: to the crime. Yeah, no,
0: this is like 18 years ago would have been a great time to do this. So the search warrant that was used to get the judge's approval was sealed, but police say the GPS devices did not lead them to anything useful in the case. No kidding, like you said. Yeah, (laughs) What what would it lead you to at that point? (sighs) Exactly. And that's not saying that he's involved at all, just like it doesn't make any sense. Why would somebody be? Right. So in 2018, Jodi would have celebrated her 50th birthday. In her honor, Find Jody had three billboards erected in Mason City that featured pictures of Jody and the words, Someone Knows Something. Is it you? The billboards garnered the attention of CBS, and in December 2018, 48 Hours released an episode on the case. In 2019, John spoke to the media for the first time in a very long time, and he totally denied any involvement in Jody's disappearance. He said he'd been living in a what he called suspended hell since 2005 and that he would voluntarily agree to undergo hypnosis to help find Jody, which is kind of wild in itself.
1: Yeah, just from what little we know about the story and what other people who have um, given their account of speaking to John, I don't believe that John is involved. I will say that. I mean, of course, and this is an unsolved case. So we just really don't know. Um, But personally, based on what I know so far, I really don't think John was involved. And I do see how he can say that he's basically been in a living hell since this happened. Um, And especially if this was a woman that he cared about, and, you know, was spending a lot of time with. And now, like he said, this is not only is this an unsolved case, and of course, there's like the heartbreak and the pain that comes with that. But then it's the fact that, people are still, because it's unsolved, people are still looking at you and questioning you and wondering if you had something to do with this forever until this case is solved. Like people will always wonder if you had something to do with it. So poor guy, you know, and of course I hope that he did not, but I don't think that he did. But yeah, I can imagine how just awful it would be every day to live that way. Yeah. So in November of 2020, a CBS report came out that drew a possible connection to the 1979 murder of another woman named Michelle Martinko in the parking lot of a Cedar Rapids Westdale Mall. The case has some strange connections to Jody's case. So 18-year-old Michelle was getting into her car after leaving the mall when somebody attacked her and a struggle ensued. Michelle was stabbed and sliced almost 30 times, ultimately leading to her death. Her case went unsolved until 2018 when, through genetic genealogy, the police finally were able to identify her killer, and it was a man named Jerry Burns. He was convicted of first-degree murder in the case of Michelle, but the police still had more questions for him. Jerry's computer was searched after his arrest, and they had found a plethora of searches for things that were pretty nefarious, including searches for things pertaining to the murder of specifically of blonde women, as well as different pornographic material involving blonde women. In his video with the police right before he was arrested, he brought up Jody's name. He said, quote, It was a big deal. I don't exactly remember what happened. Seen something about Jody Hoosentroot recently. Both women were pretty young, and they were blonde, and they were in parking lots when they were attacked. However, there's no evidence tying Jerry to Jody at all, and the Mason City Police won't say if they're even going to look into him as a suspect. Anybody with information on Jody's case can reach out to the Mason City Police Department at 641-421-3636. Information can also be provided to the Iowa Department of Criminal Investigators, and their phone number is 515-725-6010, or you can reach them at the email address info at dps.state.ia.us. So as I said before, this is still an unsolved case. It's an older one. It's unsolved, but yes, please contact um, the proper channels if you think you have any information in this case it's uh, stories like this are the ones that really you know they they stick with you and they kind of blow your mind because it's like what happened to her you know the police have and it's it's one of those cases where it's almost like they're just right there they're just missing like one critical piece of evidence but it's It's like they have almost all the pieces here and it's just missing that one little missing link and hopefully there's somebody out here out there who one day will uh will have that missing piece Absolutely. I'm listening to a podcast
0: called Love and Justice, and it's only got three episodes, but it's following um, the story, the murder of a girl named Ashley Love. And it's like a friend of the family that's doing it. So the third episode, it, it's titled Learn Everything You Can. And so it was it's so there's so much information about this girl but just talking to people who she died she was killed like more than 10 years ago and this investigator's talking and it like clicked with me and it makes so much sense with this story that we're talking about how important it is for cold cases and stuff to go back and interview those same people 10 years later yeah. they've grown they've matured they might not have their walls up as much as they did right when something happened like You just never know. Like, it's so important. Like, I feel bad for somebody like John if he's not involved, right? you know, to be interviewed over and over and over again. But that's really how they're able to find more information. Like, that's all they have. So if you haven't checked out that podcast, it's actually really, really good. Um, I'm enjoying it. But it's called Love and Justice.
1: Awesome. All right. So Melissa, we are going to move on to our last thing before we go. And this will be the last and final time that we talk about Love is Blind season three. So if you have been listening along to our kind of recap, kind of just throwing our opinions out there. It's just opinion. It's, it's opinion just a city over here. It's opinion city. Yeah. If you um, have been enjoying that, then this will be the last one. If you haven't been enjoying that, this will be the last one. so um, Yeah, so you'll get a – when we come back after Thanksgiving, you will have a whole fresh batch of uh, Lasting Before We Go. I don't know what's yeah. going to be, but it'll be something different.
0: If you're new to Lasting Before We Go, this is just a way for us to uh, talk about something off-topic from the main story, just a little bit of a palate cleanser as we finish the show up. All right, Mandy, so last time we left off with – who was who said no? Oh, it was SK and Raven, and yes. SK said no, yes. And then next up, we were with Nancy and Bartise. and with them, we
1: didn't know. And this is what we, we found out we didn't know. So, what did we I, find out, Mandy? Well, we found out that they did not get married, and I'm glad that they did not get married Me too. because I don't think they were a match made in heaven at all. Uh, but it was quite the drama fest when. When things went down, Melissa, what did you think about the reaction from <laughs> Nancy's family?
0: They were not having it. And you know what? I don't blame them. You like go I through this whole. don't blame them either. Yeah. Right. There, they're there at this big day for their sister. And he knows he's not doing it, but he hasn't. I mean, I, I've always wanted to know, like, what's the conversation with producers like? What did they say? Like, you cannot breathe a word of your decision. Because they all, like, come up with this crap about, I didn't know till I walked down there. Well, then the answer is no. Don't make that kind of decision on the fly. Right. But his her family was angry. Her brothers were coming after him, like, yelling at him. The mom. And Nancy's like, stop, stop, stop. It's fine. It's between me and him. But I wanted to be like, they had to rent tuxes. Who's reimbursing them for that? this is not fair. They just spent a whole day of their lives (laughs) dealing with this. And y'all are just like, it's fine. It's totally fine. Don't be mad.
1: I'd be mad. And like Bartis, like talked the talk the whole time. And like, you know, he was like such a tryhard about making everyone think that he actually liked her. Like any, any, he was trying to put off like, oh, whatever issues we have, we can totally work through them. But I saw through it right away like i knew that he was not into her he wasn't attracted to her and like we talked about before that's really unfortunate because there's nothing wrong with the way nancy looks but obviously oh she's not his type and like there's nothing wrong with that right everybody has preferences but like don't sit there and string her along and be like oh no like i am attracted you know whatever they it wasn't like that they didn't have that exact conversation but like it did come up multiple times about the way she looked and he very enthusiastically tried to like convince her that he like was into her, but then at the same time would plant these little seeds of doubt by telling her like that other people were also attractive. I don't know. He was so weird. I just did not like him at all. I'm so glad they didn't get married. She didn't deserve that. And he can go find himself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He can go find himself. I agree. And ladies, men, red flag, dangly cross-earring i don't yeah. want to see it
1: <laughs> if it you is have a one take it out right now it's a trend i've seen no people, oh my gosh melissa i have seen men at the gym wearing one like at the gym wearing working mm-hmm. out with their little dangly um cross earring but yeah you're right i just know who to stay from Red flag.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so next up we have alexa and brennan
1: no Aww. surprise they're they got so cute. I just love them both. And I think they have the perfect opposing personalities that is going to go great together. And I love their families. Totally. I think both of their families are great and sweet and want what's, you know, want the best for them. And they seem to have like a really good support system going into it. So I am team, Alexa and Brennan. I hope they go the distance and have lots of babies. And
0: Oh, for sure. They it. had, um, we watched the reunion, too. Thanks, Nick Lachey and Vanessa Ugh. Lachey, for nothing yet again. <laughs> um, but they had the reunion, and they talked about not really having fights before the wedding, but having some after. And Alexa mentioned the best advice she got was don't let roommate problems become marriage problems. And that is yeah. so good. Like, not those, like, stupid things that your roommate would do you know, leaving dishes out, all those sorts of things become these huge marital issues. I was like, that's actually very good advice. And I should take it. I'm not, but I should
1: take it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that advice, too. I did love that. That's Oh, I want. yeah i need to remember that for the next time i go to like a bridal shower and they make you write on the cards you know and oh they do those gosh, little games like what advice do you things. have to give and i never have any like i'm like i have no idea but now i'm gonna have that one
0: <laughs> i always have the most aggressive one which is go to bed angry like i know everyone says not to but i'm like go to bed angry because sometimes you are not logical sometimes and you, you need to, to sleep yeah. on it yeah <laughs> okay mandy uh next up is colleen and
1: matt what happened there Mandy? I think Colleen, I don't know. It's like a blink twice if you need help situation with her. and All the light in her eyes is gone. I don't know what is happening there, but I do not like it. I hope that girl is okay. Colleen, girl, I hope you are okay. I don't know. I don't like it. I get the heebie-jeebies. I don't like the way it looked. Um, I think mostly what's sticking out to me right now is watching the reunion. But, yeah, um, yeah, so let's just back it up a little bit. Yes, they did get married. And – even during the ceremony, like, when they were saying the vows, to me, it looked like she was going to say no. Like, she looked – like, the her facial hoping. expressions, like, the way she was acting, I – I shocked. I was shocked that she said yes. Then seeing them on the reunion, like, I don't know. I was just sad, like, for her. Like, I don't know what's going on there. I don't like it. I know. Well, she ha-
0: seems to have a good support system in all of her girls from Love is Blind, so hopefully they are all checking in on her because yeah. – It is a weird – It's it's – I don't know. I would have pushed for them not to get married, but you know what? If they're married and maybe we're getting a bad edit, I don't think we are, but maybe we are and hopefully everything's okay. But yeah, it was the first time I've watched one where I was like, oof, I don't like this at all. This is not yeah, good. Yeah, it definitely doesn't sit right with me. Speaking of not good, last couple. <laughs> <laughs> last couple is uh, Cole and Zenob. Mandy, What happened?
1: I just don't want to say very much about this because I am a little salty about. Do you the feel way like you got bamboozled? Do I feel like I got bamboozled? I think I, we got bamboozled. By who? By Zay. You thought that she was like a normal person at any point during this season? Listen, when an Instagram person <laughs> writes you and says, I know her in real
0: life and she's really nice, I believe them. 100%. I don't know. And let me just
1: say that- <laughs> I'm just I, kidding, person. I know. This This past week, I have gone and looked up everyone's Instagrams basically from Love is Blind. And mm-hmm. I've gone through like and even looked at people's past posts and people's current posts. Let me just say, I- No, I wasn't bamboozled. I already saw the writing on the wall with that. And I have been telling you that I did not like her. And I honestly am so like – I do not like what happened with Cole. I do not like the way that she has like gaslit him and made him feel like he's the worst person in the world and like the way that she dumped him at the altar and said all these like horrible things like that he single-handedly ruined her self-esteem and I'm like Cole you know he's young he might be a little immature he might be a a little bit goofy for everybody he might not be everyone's taste but do I think that he's like a rude disrespectful man who is like going to be rude to a woman like absolutely not I think Cole's pretty sweet in general I don't think that he maybe would be like my type for um husband material, but like I thought what she, what I thought what she did was messed up. Melissa, I could well, talk you know about what it I, forever. What do you think? I know.
0: Um <laughs> no, I totally agree. Well, I think she thought she was gonna have like a deep D moment from last season where it's like, here's the reasons that this isn't gonna work out. But she just it did not come out the same no. way. Like deep D we were cheering. This was kind of like, ugh, I don't know, this is not Right, right. And, and maybe you could have saved this for like after when everybody walked away and then her friends and family were cheering and I was right. like I don't like, really want to be with that group like I don't want people supporting me in that way
1: it was yeah. weird but then
0: Mandy we were at the reunion so so anyway she tells him no and he is shocked upset blah 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 okay fine but then we get to the reunion and she keeps saying all these terrible things, and all the girls are backing her up. And, and she's everyone saying, is basically
1: ganging up on Cole and like calling. Meanwhile, Artie is just sitting person. there
0: dangling his <laughs> earring, and nobody has anything to say to him.
1: Yeah. I – that was uncomfortable to watch. I did not like watching any part of that at the reunion and especially when Cole was getting, like, emotional because he obviously felt like he was being attacked and ganged up on, which he was. And, like, all these women were, like, telling him what a terrible guy he is and, like, he's – you know, he ruined um, – Matt is two feet away. Not a word to him. He ruined this girl's self-esteem all on his own. And I'm like, what did he do? What did he do that was so bad, right? And so anyway – it was tangerine gate, orange gate, Mandarin gate. gate, cutie mm-hmm. gate.
0: <laughs> she keeps talking in this, in, in the reunion and saying, you know, we were going out to dinner and I had two cuties and like the little oranges. And he was like, are you going to eat those? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm hungry. I was like barely eating because I was trying to lose weight and I wanted to be thin and he wanted me to be thin. Like all this stuff you're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. <laughs> And then the most magical thing, these editors have finally taken some notes from Real Housewives and cut scene, we're done with the show, and then they bring up the lost footage of of Cutie Gate.
1: Of Cutie Gate, yeah. It's
0: like four full minutes, not an edit to be had, of them
1: just like goofing around talking and what actually happened that night. Mindy, do you want to explain what happened? It was nothing the way she said it went down. It was literally a case of, like, I guess they had been busy. But, yeah, it sounded like she was trying to maybe lose a couple pounds before she went and tried on wedding dresses or something. But, yeah, she she was just about to eat these oranges. And he asked if she was going to eat them. She said, yeah. And then she said, oh, all I've had today is a banana. But he was like, oh, all you've eaten today is a a banana? Like, he was, like, surprised, right? And he was like, why? You know? And so – you know, he was like, Oh, are you doing like your little? He was like, He didn't even know how to word it. You know, he said, Are you doing your little like w- wedding dress fitting thing or something? And, yeah. and it was totally like innocent and like it normal. Felt very benign. And, like, yeah. yeah. And like totally not this like soul crushing, like, don't eat those oranges, you fatty. No. Like, it was nothing like that. Like, so anyway, because of that, like, I now think that everything Zaneb ever says is blown out of proportion, way over the top. I just, like, I don't know. And like you said, you know, we always give people the benefit of the doubt and say maybe they're getting a bad edit. And, you know, maybe that's still the case. Maybe they just wrote a bad edit for Zaneb all the way through to the end, which is unfortunate right. for her if the show yeah. did that to her. You know, it just chose her to be the one, you know, to do that to. But something tells me that she has every bit of that um, in her on her own. (laughs) So
0: yeah, it was wild though, because it was very innocent. It was more like, hey, we're going out to dinner. Are you sure you want to eat right before? Because we're having a big dinner. And like, I've said that to my husband. I've said that to my kids. I'll say it to myself. Like, hey, remember, we're doing this thing. So if you eat a bunch of cuties, you might not be able to eat dinner. And like, we're going to a nice restaurant. So right, please. Uh, nothing like wait it was so benign was that i was like yeah. Ugh, if this is like the big thing you guys had like you're way off on this yeah. but also i watched like um somebody tweeted like a modern family clip with um the oh gosh i don't remember their names cam and his husband and i can't remember um jesse tyler ferguson and it was literally the same scene but him just being like hey did you were you taking an apple? And he's like, oh, really? Because I'm fat, I take an apple? Like something so <laughs> oh, like, wait, where, yeah. how did we get there? But it was exactly what happened. And you're like, oh my gosh, like the perception, the perception is everything yeah. in that moment, I think. Yeah. But it was, oh, it was a bummer because I think if, I think they could have been a decent couple, kind of. But mm, yeah. at this point, no, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. get out. No, Mm-mm. yeah,
1: no. And like I, I said before last week, maybe, I think Cole needs to just find a girl who is a lot more, Carefree, maybe not so structured. And I thought that the living, you know, the way they both you know, how his apartment was messy, of course, like you would expect. And she was very into like being clean and having everything neat and wanted everything organized and where these things go and had a way to do everything. And like I just don't think their personalities were going to mesh well together, like no matter no, what. I just it felt could, like they were too different. He was too I, laid back and like she cared too much about things that really don't matter, in my opinion, you know. Right, yeah, it it seemed, and she even said something uh, like, "I've never lived with
0: anybody else," so blah blah blah. I'm like, "Oh, so she's just not getting like, give it time." Like, she the first time he puts a towel on the floor, she's gonna say something. It's like, "Well, you're technically in the honeymoon period." Like, girl, it's gonna get much worse. You might want to see. You got to pick your battles. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It was I don't know. It wasn't my favorite season. I don't think. No,
1: I don't I, think it was my favorite. either. I think either. my fir- the
0: first is still my favorite, but we'll say. Uh, will there be a fourth season yes will i watch it yes of course you know what i was surprised about they did not tease another what was that terrible show that vanessa and oh my last time right Uh, after it was uh,
1: yes it was mary or basically the it was uh something or divorce the ultimatum the ultimatum marry or move on the ultimatum yeah. so basically yeah they were already married people that show was terrible oh my gosh it was really the worst I and totally it wasn't even watch like good season drama. of it i know absolutely it wasn't really was, that good that's probably why they didn't do it and plus i don't know Nick and Vanessa need to give it up. They are not very good show hosts, if you ask me. This time, they
0: literally had them on the first episode and the last. Like, when I saw them, I was like, oh, yeah, they're part of this. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. So, yeah. So, this concludes our conversation on Love Love is is Blind. Blind. Season Season three. three. (laughs) We'll be back for season four because, you know, we can't help ourselves. Um, in the meantime, we'll be off next week, the 22nd, as Mandy said at the beginning of the show. You can find bonus episodes at patreon.com/slash moms and murder podcast, or if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe there and we'll put up bonus episodes there. Check out uh Instagram this week and see what we're up to Friday,
1: maybe. Yes. Don't forget um, to check out social media. We're gonna be talking about the thing we can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a kid trying to keep a secret.
0: (laughs) But we will be back on November 29th. Hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving if you celebrate. And we are very thankful for all of you.
1: All right, guys. We will see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a
0: new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.